the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's an honor. Today is Thursday, December the 14th, 2023, in the year of our Lord. On December 14th, 2020, the largest and most deceptive, I would add, vaccination campaign in the U.S. history began with health workers getting their shots. And now we know that Fauci began getting his royalties. Today in 1799, the first president of the United States, George Washington, he died at his Mount Vernon, Virginia home. He was 67 years old. Today in 1819, he was a mere child. Today in 1819, Alabama joined the Union, the 22nd state to do so. Today in 1911, Norwegian explorer Roald Amundsen, he and his team became the first men to reach the South Pole. They beat out a British expedition that was led by Robert Scott. There was a little bit of uh, bad blood between the two for a while, as I have read. Today, in 1939, the Soviet Union was expelled from the League of Nations for invading Finland. Today, in 1985, former New York Yankees outfielder Roger Maris. If you're a baseball fan and over 40, you probably remember Roger Maris. He had 61 home runs, beating the 60 that Babe Ruth had hit sometime earlier. He had 61 home runs during the 1961 season. Well, he died today in Houston. He was 51 years old. He and Mickey Mantle and a lot of those guys, Babe Ruth and all of them, I don't know about today <clears throat> as much, but boy, they were out partying. I mean, they really lived a pretty... <laughs> ambitious life as far as partying and abusing themselves and so on. They didn't probably think of themselves as first and foremost an athlete. And um, a lot of them, a lot of the famous athletes, especially baseball players, died really young. Anyway, Roger Maris died today in Houston. He was 51 years old. Today in 2006, a British police inquiry concluded that the deaths of Princess Diana and her boyfriend, this Dodi Fayed, in a 1997 Paris car crash were a tragic ac uh, accident, but that allegations of a murder conspiracy were unfounded. And today in 2012, a gunman killed 20 first graders and six educators at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut. Then he took his own life. And today in 2020, the Electoral College confirmed that Joe Biden was the next president of the United States. I want to talk a little bit about Joe Biden today. But did you know that half of young Americans are either unsure of the Nazi Holocaust authenticity or outright believe it's a myth? Half of young Americans. That's according to a recent survey that reveals a worrying trend in the U.S. across a younger generation. They believe stuff that isn't true and they don't believe stuff that is true. One in five young Americans believe the Nazi Holocaust to be a myth, according to this survey. Well, they need to load those kids up in a 
in a very nice jet and take them across the water from the U.S. and show them the the death camps. I mean, that could be a starter. A YouGov economist poll revealed concerning levels of Holocaust ignorance among young Americans, with roughly 20% of 18 to 29-year-olds believing that the horrific tragedy, the systemic genocide of 6 million Jews and millions of other victims of Nazism, is a myth. It didn't even happen. Even higher than the 8% in the 30 to 44 age group. Additionally, 30% of young respondents are unsure about the Holocaust's authenticity. Nearly a quarter of the same age group and the Holocaust, they say, has been exaggerated. The Simon Weisenthal Center, it's a Jewish human rights organization that researches the Holocaust and contemporary anti-Semitism, they lamented over the poll's results because they know the truth. Repeat a lie often enough keep posting on social media, add Iran, state-sponsored denial, and new generations with zero collective memory of the past, and here we are, the organization posted on their website on Sunday, this past Sunday. It does matter, it does not matter, if Biden has previously acknowledged the attacks as terrorism, he does not believe Israel has a right to defend itself, so says Arne Wexler, writing for the Federalist. She's pretty well known. She's Jewish, and she is defensive of the Jewish nation of Israel. She's kind of an intellect, and she she writes a lot. She's conservative. I don't know a lot about her beyond that, but I know that a lot of people read her. So when she wrote this article, it got my attention. She says in the article, it was published by the Federalist just I think it was yesterday or day before. She says the Biden administration is abandoning Israel. Hmm. Wexler says there is, this is more than an attempt to play both sides of the conflict, and the suggestion that the White House is only softening in its support is wishful thinking. She said President Biden is turning up the public pressure for Israel to accept a ceasefire and abandon its goal of eradicating Hamas. There's another poll out this morning, just literally two hours ago, it was published, and it's by Lifeway Research. That's a Christian-based organization. In the past, past, uh, Lifeway Research has been affiliated in some way, I don't know, maybe they were corporately involved or something, with the Southern Baptist uh, Convention. I think they've kind of separated from that now, you know, a friendly separation and they're a different company now but that's kind of their roots and uh, I follow what they say and what they find and how they interpret it uh, as I do a lot of other polls and they're pretty they're pretty good they're pretty thorough in what they do and they came out with this it's a humongous poll this morning and I, I I took the time earlier today this morning to read through it and there's a lot of information there but it's just numbers and, of course, their opinion is, is woven into some of it, but primarily it's just stats. And I found it kind of concerning and surprising 
in many respects. But a part of what they are saying in that, I mean, I lifted it so I could share it with you today on the program. It's very lengthy. We wouldn't have time to go through the thing, even if I had had time to study it. But I lifted this from that that, as I said, just was published a couple of hours ago. It says, uh, they, they published this this morning. They said, as they're following the news about the conflict, 59% of U.S. Christians believe news stories often oversimplify reasons for events in the war. Additionally, talking about the Israeli-Hamas war, they believe news stories are overly simplified. Additionally, more than two in five believe the media is biased in their uh, conflict coverage. Two in five? Five in five should, if they pay attention to it. Of course the media is biased. They're biased in everything they report. I mean, honestly, they are. They don't put out news anymore that isn't biased. They always weave their thread. And one of the biggest offenders is Associated Press, which is owned by several news organizations as kind of a clearinghouse. I mean, it's that bad. This says around 3 in 10, 31% say the mainstream media's coverage on the war is objective. (laughs) So 30% of America think they're reading the truth when they read the secular media. Meanwhile, 22% say the media is skewed toward anti-Israel views. Another quarter, 26%, they don't even know what they believe. They said, I don't, they don't know. Despite the doubts about objectivity, the survey says, most U.S. Christians, now Christians is a broad term, and in this, I gathered from what I could read in the time I had that Christians is anyone who identifies themselves as a Christian. So you can, in your mind, I don't have to explain it, but you can have a picture that it's all the way from, you know, you know, Frank who went to church last Christmas and may or may not go again this Christmas to evangelical Christians who are living out their faith and believe in biblical principles and so on. So that whole spectrum is what they're talking about here. So that in itself skews the outcome of it a little bit, but nonetheless, it's not just evangelicals. But nonetheless, 56% of U.S. Christians say the, the media has influenced their opinion about Israel. So 56% of America... Christian, who identify as Christians, believe what the media is saying and, and their worldview of how Israel fits into God's plan has been forged not by the Bible, not by their pastor. As a Christian, they would have a pastor, I presume, or they would think of someone as being their pastor. Not by the, any of those voices. And the Episcopal Church and other churches are very, very anti-Jewish. But in spite of that, 56% say the media has influenced their opinions. About a quarter say they've been influenced by the Bible, 27%. So 56% of American Christians, their worldview regarding Israel has been shaped by the media, and 27% of them have their worldview influenced by the Bible. That's the problem. Close to one in eight point to personal experiences with Jews. 13%, they know people who are Jews. Position, uh, positions of elected officials, 13%. Their local church, they say 12% of them say that that has an influence on their thinking. 12%. That's not encouraging to a pastor. 
I mean, anyway, maybe they should do a little review on what they're saying in the pulpit. But anyway, only 12% say that their their influence comes from their local church in regards to this matter. Another 10% say national Christian leaders. Fewer say teachers or professors, 6%, or personal experience with Palestinians, 5%, have influenced their opinions about Israel and the Israeli matter. One in eight are not sure. This survey, big survey, it also said that U.S. Christians are more likely to say that they have met an Israeli person, 41%, than a Palestinian, 27%. Around 3 in 10, 31% say neither, and 25%, again, aren't sure if they've ever met a Jewish person or a Palestinian. In general, they kind of conclude in this long survey, In general, American Christians are more likely to have a positive perception of Israel, 65%, than negative, 23%. That positive perspective seems to stem more from the practical than the prophetic, Lifeway says. That's very true. Everything I saw affirms that in my own mind. They're not... American Christians are not paying attention to the Bible. And if they're not doing so on this issue, are they on issues of marriage and, and homosexuality and, and ordained priests and ministers and so on? No, they're not. We see this not only in this issue about Israel, but we see this carrying through and through all of the other major issues. Abortion. How do Christians support abortions? Well, because they've been misled. There are people who identify as Christians but say, well, it is a woman's body and blah, blah, blah. That's why we are where we are today. This presidency is the most flawed presidency probably ever, but certainly in recent years, in my opinion, and the opinion of many others. But the problem, it doesn't rest at the foot of Joe Biden. The problem rests at the foot of the church and the pulpit. We simply aren't preaching the truth. We go to church and leave the lights off. We need to turn on the lights and tell it like it is. We need to address in love the issues of our time from a biblical perspective. You can preach the Bible and relate it to the things that everybody is dealing with in their everyday life. And I know there are pastors that listen to this program, and I would encourage you, don't be fearful to speak up. Don't be silent. Read Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Don't read the end of his life because he ends up dead. But read what he said. We need to not be silent. We need to speak up. I'm not a great preacher, but our church grew exponentially. There's people who listen to this program who attended that church. It grew exponentially. And I talked about the issues. It wasn't an issue sermon every Sunday, but I talked about the issues from a biblical perspective, and that's not happening in our country. Because pastors, I guess, don't want to make waves or they want to be accepted. Lifestyle evangelism and all that kind of thing, that that's not working. We're going to hell in a handbasket because the pulpits are silent and we leave the lights off. We need to turn on the lights and look at what is true and what is of God and what is consistent with scripture and tell it like it is and people will come to your church your pews won't be empty 
like a lot of these mainstream church churches are now with their beautiful stained glass windows and high steeples and all of that and they're empty and they're trying to figure out what to do with the property i mean that's where we are in america if you speak the truth in love from a biblical perspective people will come to your church The Bible says, but if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, that I will be an enemy unto thine enemies and an adversary unto thine adversaries. Moses said that on behalf of the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12 and 13 says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. We're on the winning side. Christ is victorious. He's not going to be. He is. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is, which is good? Wexler says this is more important than an attempt to play both sides of the conflict. Talking about the president, President Biden. She said it's more important than an attempt to play both sides of the conflict and the suggestion that the White House is only softening in its support is wishful thinking. President Biden is turning up the public pressure for Israel to accept a ceasefire and abandon its goal of eradicating Hamas. The Wall Street Journal said back on December 1st, that's what, two weeks ago today, Secretary of State Antony Blinken, I'm quoting the Wall Street Journal two weeks ago, Secretary of State Antony Blinken has also seemingly forgotten his visit to the massacred southern border, uh, border, border towns, warning Israel that they are already running out of credit in the war against Hamas. This is the Wall Street Journal. The journal reviews the war to date, goes into a whole bunch of pauses and talks about it. It's a lengthy article. But then they continue and they say this, but how should this next phase of the war be waged? Here Mr. Blinken is adamant. It must be nothing like the operation in the North Gaza. The Secretary of State said he underscored to Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu the imperative to the United States that the massive loss of civilian life and displacement of the scale we saw in northern Gaza must not be repeated in the south. He said Israel must take more effective steps to protect the lives of civilians. But (laughs) the best way... The journal says, Wall Street Journal, the best way to save civilians is to get them far from urban combat zones, away from Hamas strongholds, like the city of Konyokas or whatever, however you pronounce that. But Mr. Blinken demands avoiding further significant displacement of civilians inside of Gaza. Instead, he called on Israel to create safe zones for civilians near the fighting. But what should Israel do? The journal asks. What should they do when a mosque positions itself in those zones? That's how it used hospitals and schools in the north. Could Israel attack a mosque in those sanctuaries? Blinken tried to close that door. Protecting civilians means, quoting him, avoiding damage to life-critical infrastructure like hospitals, he said. Intent matters, but so does the result. The Wall Street Journal goes on, it's a lengthy article, but they go on to note that if Israel must do more to protect civilians but can't evacuate them and can't hit Hamas where it hides in key civilian infrastructure and safe zones, how is it to fight at all? It could try a methodical grinding campaign to force Hamas into the open, but Mr. Blinken demands that Israel keep 
fuel flowing, and precisely that's what precisely Hamas needs to hunker down in all those tunnels. Have you seen pictures of those tunnels? Man, they go everywhere. Makes the catacomb look like small. Um, I mean, they just tunnels are miles, hundreds of miles of those tunnels all over the place, and they need power to keep those things operative. And that's where the power is going, the electric power that's being fed into Hamas. That's why the, the, the Israelis cut it off for a while. The journal concludes their lengthy article, the Wall Street Journal. They say Israel has a right to defend itself, which it reasonably believes requires destroying Hamas. The terrorist group rejoiced again on Thursday when two of its terrorists opened fire during, during the truce at Jewish civilians at a Jerusalem bus stop. The journal says intent does matter and blame for civilian deaths in Israel and Gaza resides with the terrorists. Israel deserves U.S. support as it topples Hamas, not a repeat of Mr. Biden's Ukraine treatment, rules, restrictions, hesitations that push a, a decisive victory far away. Israel Israelis may find the victory requires calling the president's bluff. Would they do that? Wall Street Journal says they should if they have to. Turning on Israel in wartime would alienate the much larger pool of pro-Israel American voters. Arne Wexler is right on this matter. Joe Biden is no friend to Israel. The Wall Street Journal is right on the matter as well. Regardless of what Biden says, I have been suspect of him from the very beginning of this war, and I've said that on this program. I've said I can't believe he's saying what he's saying. And he did say it. He, he voiced very strong support for Israel, as the United States has always voiced. But in his heart, he has not been acting on the words that he's been saying to the world. The administration is playing favorites. Recent statements have whitewashed the Palestinians' international crimes and intentional killing. It's focused on the microscope entirely on Israel. Blinken, and on behalf of Biden, constantly emphasizes Israel's need to protect Palestinian civilians with no recognition that it's Israel that goes to greater lengths to protect Palestinian people than Palestinians' own ruling government. Their own ruling government is Hamas who is a terrorist organization. Blinken highlights extremist settler violence on numerous occasions and calls for holding perpetrators accountable, even though these incidents are one-off and they're rare, and every time that has happened, uh, Israeli, has, Israeli government has condemned it. They don't support that. They condemn it publicly within their own country. And yet Biden, of course fails to call for the same from the Palestinians. Interesting, as I looked at this, I'm not just trying to be critical of the, the president. I could not support him less than I do. But I, I'm not trying to be necessarily critical of him. I'm just trying to get at the truth here so we can at least have an understanding. Vice President Harris, she is not a friend of Jews, although she's married to one. But she demands that the Palestinian Authority must be revitalized. Those are her words as she waits to step into the Oval Office to become your president and, and mine. 
She says it's the most recent, that's the most recent installment of the Biden administration's unsubtle orchestration to back Israel into a corner. This should come as no surprise. One of the Biden-Harris campaign promises when they were running for office was to, quote, restore aid to the Palestinian Authority. Arne Wexler notes in her article in The Federalist, there's never been peace without a victory. There has never been a victory without war. Remembering the words of another Israeli wartime prime minister, it is better to be alive with a bad image than to be pitied and dead. She, as I said, herself a Jew, reminds us all that it was none other than Joe Biden who elicited the thunderous response from then Prime Minister Menachem Begin to the U.S. Congress back in 1982. That was during Israel's first Lebanon war. On June 22nd, I, I went back and looked this up. On June 22nd, 1982, Joe Biden, Senator from Delaware, he confronted then Israeli Prime Minister Menachem Begin during the Senate Foreign Relations. Uh, it was a committee, it was a testimony. They were talking about aid to Israel. Again, June 22nd, 1982, Senator Biden. He was threatening them. Does that sound familiar? With our money, as he did in the Burisma case and got the, got the investigator fired. Well, he was at that way back in 1982. And he was threatening to cut off aid to Israel. And Menachem Begin responded. And this is on the record of the Senate. Here's what he said to Joe Biden in 1982. Don't threaten us with cutting off your aid. It will not work. I am not a Jew with trembling knees. I am a proud Jew with 3,700 years of civilized history. Nobody came to our aid when we were dying in the gas chambers and the ovens. Nobody came to our aid when we were striving to create our country. We paid for it. We fought for it. We died for it. We will stand by our principles. We will defend them. And when necessary, we will die for them again, with or without your aid. Mr. Biden. Wow. It is said, and I couldn't find a record of this, but it is said, it was common knowledge, that Senator Biden then reportedly just slammed his fist on the desk in front of him on the table and Begin responded and he said to him, and this is on the record, he said, this desk is designed for writing, not for fists. Don't threaten us with slashing aid. He said, do you think that because the U.S. lends us money, it is entitled to impose on us what we must do? We are grateful for the assistance we have received, but we are not to be threatened. I am a proud Jew. 3,000 years plus of culture are behind me, and you will not frighten me with threats. Take note, we do not want a single soldier of yours to die for us. Why is this so important? I mean, why are we talking about it today? There's lots of conflicts around the world. We could talk about them, you know, in different places. Why is the Jewish conflict so important? If you read scripture and if you don't fall into that high percentage of people, the 56% of people who are saying in this very new survey that the media 
influences influences their opinions about Israel. You need to rethink that. You need to get to the Bible. God says in many places, but God says in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, Israel, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Christmas is coming, and we should know that Israel has blessed us with our Savior. I'll see you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.